Hello. Hello. It's your mom. <laughs> it's your mother's. Wearing um, the same exact thing. Literally every time. Every I time. I called my mom this morning. It's her birthday today. She goes, HBD, sis. I don't know. She's like, hello. Aw. You can always tell by a mom's hello what mood she's in. Totally agree. And I was like, wow, good mood. <laughs> or she'll be like, hello. Yes. And I'm like, yes. oh, stressed. Yes. Or it's like, if they always feel like they have to answer. They're like, hey, can I call you back? I'm just like about to check out at the grocery store. Like you didn't need to answer. <laughs> like you could have just let it ring. <laughs> hey, I'm really busy. I'm like, okay. You know, I think a parent, well, what? Uh, I think a parent worries that it's an emergency. Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. And they're true. answering to make sure. That's true. Yeah. You're like, I just wanted money. 100%. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Almost 30. It's Lindsay and Krista. Happy, happy you're here. Happy you're here. Love seeing those Spotify recaps. Oh, man. Did you look at yours? I did. Well, Sean was pestering me. I'm like, hey, man, I don't really care. Hey, He's everyone. Like, why are we falling for this? <laughs> why are we all falling for this? He's like, I'm pissed. He's like, mine didn't update and I don't have mine. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. Don't mine care. was like my meditation music in the morning. Yeah, mine was just like Frank Ocean. It was like in commercials because I don't yes. have Spotify premium. So it's like, we pretty much, you just heard commercials. But I don't normally listen. Like I kind of mix up where I'm listening to podcasts, but my number one podcast is almost 30 on Spotify. <laughs> you should post and be like, this was sick. I'm embarrassed. This is a good year. Love listening to myself. <laughs> it was weird. I was, you know, we were in, um, so we were in Miami this weekend uh, for some interviews and um, some work stuff. And so I took, I had that bathing suit photo. So I posted a picture on a bathing suit because I was just whatever, feeling it. But it was so weird because how many views I got on that, I don't understand. Because mm. what, you'd have to click my story and you don't know what it is going to be. So I had like four times as many views on a story as I've ever had. And I don't understand why. It's almost like it was being... It's I, honestly, like, it's like AI technology yeah, serving exactly. it because it's like a naked body. Exactly. Swear to God. I because it, it doesn't fucking make sense. Like it's like, it should be consistent for the most part. Your story can go up and down a little bit, but the amount it was seen more or served more to people was wow. like weird. Wow. Because you you can't just, you're looking at my circle and then you click my circle. Exactly. So what, because so normally on another day, people would click my circle and it's like, okay, this is so stupid. I'm never clicking the circle again. <laughs> so they click it, but they don't know what it is. So I was like, how would they know what it is? AI, baby. Isn't that weird? That is so, so weird. I've been, yeah, I'm I'm just thinking about that because that really scares me. And I also I should probably post a naked story Same. tonight. <laughs> I, I literally was like, I, I think of this person that's a like a blogger influencer and I'm like, damn, like it really, there really is something to the body shots. That really gets people going. <laughs> this morning I was in the mirror and I have this large sweatsuit on right now if you're watching on YouTube. And I was like, oh, I want to like capture this totally sweat thing because it's like my friend's brand and I'm like, I'll share it, whatever. And I, and now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, no body shape, I not mean, gonna be seen. 90, maybe that's why people were surprised. They were like, oh, wow. She's like out of, even my, this person I saw recently was like, oh, that was like the first time I've seen your body because of like everything I wear. But it was so freaking weird. I'm like, still trying to figure that out. Wow. I also think about the AI technology with, I've said this before, but if you notice with um, reels, they do better if there's a face in mm -hmm. them. And I think that they do facial recognition to see if there's a face rather than like if you have scenery or something like that, even photos. Completely are agree. Are served so much more when it's like a selfie or a face. Completely agree. Yeah. 
trying to figure it out. Increasing the amount of narcissism in our society. Yes. Not allowing us to post fucking sunsets like we want to. Well, th- think about it. Okay. What if tomorrow all Instagram was, was anything like mostly like sunsets and oceans and and environments and not people. But think about what that vibe would be. Yeah. It, it doesn't make people feel less than others. Exactly. <laughs> totally. So it doesn't bring people back. It might not bring people back to the app as much because I think sometimes what brings us back is like, what are people doing? Yes. And is that some co- subconscious need to almost either quote unquote, be inspired by people or yes. compare yourself to people or level, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. I know. I know it's getting weird. And I also said too, I noticed there was like another person I follow um, who I love her page and I was looking at something and I noticed that she has tons of pictures of her and they're really beautiful, whatever. And the amount of likes she had on the one with her wearing a mask was like four times her normal likes. And I thought it was interesting. I was like, are people supporting the mask or is it that it's being Mm. served more because she's a person in a mask? I don't know what it was. I didn't hate it. I just was thought it was, I just was, I'm noticing patterns and I think it's interesting. I was like, okay. Or maybe people, but the thing is, is like, I don't know if people are going to be so, I think people are wearing masks. We're all being safe. What we're, you know, most, most of us are being safe, but it's like, would people like a mask that much where they're like, fuck yes. Oh yes. More of us are liking this. <laughs> like literally, I'm trying to explain what I'm saying, but it, I heard a climax in there. <laughs> But that's what it felt like. It was like four times the amount of you are like, fuck yes, this mask is doing it for me. Like, what the fuck? You were like, you were like the the guy in Cincinnati that's like, my Cincinnati's coming out. I remember one time I was like, where was it? Maybe a few years ago. But someone was like, you say hell yeah all the time. I was like, yo, oh, really? yes. <laughs> oh, like, a few years ago. A few years ago, I was like, yo, what the heck? Oh, man. Anyways, that yeah. That's funny. <laughs> so freaking weird though. Yeah, but, well, I just, I think it, it it brings up the point of just being aware of this stuff. Yes. And, you know, it's it's not saying it's good or bad. It's just like bringing awareness to high, like, there might be things that are served to you yes. for specific reasons and or for your likes, for what you're mainly consuming. I don't know. Whatever. It's not good or bad. I know. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> when we were, it was interesting though, when we were in Florida, I was in, so my, um, I was in Florida, I was in Siesta Key with my family. My dad is um, having some health issues and then my grandpa is really getting older. So um, he may transition at some point, which he tells us like all the time he talks about him dying. But so I was there to really be with family during this time. And then we also had some, some work in Miami, but it was crazy to be in, to see the stark difference between state by state with how everything's being handled. Yeah. And it just, I I guess I've never in my experience of being what, 30 something years old, 30 years old or something. Um, that it's like, I've never, that's, we've never had that experience. So when you go to Europe, you go to different countries in Europe and everything's, there's very different. There's much, there's greater cultural difference. Mm -hmm. But then in the United States, there is cultural difference, but the way that everything was handled was just so different. It shocked me. Yeah. It was really nice to be, to be down in Florida. I think obviously it's, it's beautiful. Miami was so cool, but yeah, there is that ability to be outside. And then also just like be in nature and really feel by the ocean, like how 
good that feels on the body. And I'm like, oh, like this is part of the healing too. This is a part of like how we stay well too. Yes. So that's why, yeah, I mean, not to talk about like COVID, political, anything. It's just like being inside, it's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's like necessarily always good for our bodies to be that far from you know, out in nature by trees, clean air, like all mm-hmm. these, all these things. So it just like made me think, but yeah, it was really, really nice to be down mm-hmm. there. And everyone was safe, like yeah. all indoors, people wearing masks and... And restaurants were yeah. like social distance. It was, yeah, it was super safe. And I think their numbers, I'm not really sure their numbers or how they're handling it, but we got to see Sahara, which yeah. was really fun. So that interview is coming out with her, Discover Your Dharma. Her book is coming out in January. And then we interviewed Ash Johns mm-hmm. and Ash was amazing. Oh my God, It was y'all. baller. Wait until this episode. Dude, she killed it. Oh my God. Ancestral healing, ancestral yes. trauma, like magic. Like it was just unreal. We were like in a vortex that's coming out in January. Yeah, it was so good. We were with Danielle Page and mm-hmm. yeah, it was just good to kind of, get out for a bit because LA is pretty hunkered. So yeah, mm-hmm. I was feeling feeling very good. Yeah, it was really, really nice. And we also saw that in the Facebook group, oh we wanted God. to address <laughs> some rumors. <laughs> it was cute. There was someone was that cute. was like, I was listening to the episode with Lauren Everett, which was last week. So Lauren Everett's Bostic was on the pod, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and Krista and Lindsay were talking about Austin. And I, are they moving? Like, was there an official announcement? And I was like, dude, I literally live my life I know. and forget that I'm a public person. Same. Someone else was like, same. Uh, what, what did I do recently? Oh, and I was like, damn it, I forgot to. It's not, I'm not moving there yet. We're not moving, but we're thinking about moving. Yeah. So that's just like our update. Mm-hmm. You guys will be the first to know. Yeah, you will be the first. <laughs> but when I'm, whenever parents. I'm noodling, I forget to like, I don't know. I just am, I don't know. Well, I also think it's not like, we don't know when, we don't know mm-hmm. where, we don't, you know, we yes. don't know how. So it's almost, it feels better to me, to us, to like have those plans in place and, yes. then, and then share. Feels better for them too, but not for me. I just want to sure. talk about it. <laughs> but thanks for asking. And I'm love curious ya. too with you guys, mm-hmm. how many people have wanted to move this year or thought about moving? Yeah, It's been so crazy to see how many people that I know have moved from the place that they were earlier this year and how much it's in the collective for us to move. You know, I think there's a collective anxiousness that is manifesting in people moving. And I think that's definitely the case for me where I have this like underlying unsafety. I feel this Mm -hmm. underlying sense of being unsafe and I'm trying to seek physical safety. And so I'd be curious too of how many people that are listening this year have gotten the ping or desire to move or have moved. Yeah, that feeling of like, it's like physical safety outside of yourself. And then, because I feel like we've been able to do some inner safety work, Mm -hmm. but it really does matter the the environment as well. I've just noticed how much my environment affects me over this last year, whether it's like, aesthetically or Mm -hmm. space-wise or sounds or like ability to like go to a nearby park, like just these little things that are really, really important to me and to you, you know? I know. It's so weird. I remember being in like college and at my first apartment out of college and it was just like, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, so whatever, (laughs) whatever. I mean, about your space. Thinking about dorm rooms, dude, kind of like, honestly, okay fine to live in, but like kind of prison-y. Totally. And the showers like are all like open showers. Holy moly. I wonder what, yeah, yeah. Just whatever. But it is, 
it is something I'm really stepping into is like how important your environment is energetically. And every time I'm outside in LA, I feel like I'm like in the crosshairs of some weird fucking grids that yeah. are just like being established and broken down and established and broken down. And energetically, it feels so tainted. Yeah. It's crazy. It's almost like you can't trust it. No. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm never safe. It's weird. Yeah. And not feeling bad about like wanting a nice Dude, space yes. or a space that makes you happy. Honestly. And, yeah. So Justin curious. was like, I was talking to Justin about moving to mm. Austin and he was like, oh, I'm, you know, or he's like, I don't know if I'm ready yet. Maybe after the wedding. I'm like, okay. And he's like, then like an hour later, he turns around and he's like, so Elon's going to have people on Mars by 2024. I think I'm, I think we should go. And I'm like, so you want to move to Mars, but you don't want to move to Texas. Okay. I'm like, okay, sure, dude. I was like, that sounds like something I would say. Oh. Say something like that. And I'm like, dude, I don't want to move to Mars. I like Earth. Yeah, I'm good on Mars. I'm good on Mars. <laughs> Can we breathe on Mars? You know, there was a civil, this is like a belief in uh, the science community is that there's like a civilization that existed on Mars, but then there's fragments of, uh, of a nuclear bomb that went off on Mars that mm. destroyed uh, the, all species and life on Mars, but Mars used to be habitable. And they found elements of this nuclear bomb on Mars that basically proves to them that there was some sort of nuclear like bomb that went off that really destroyed all life on Mars. That's and that's what they say created, that there was another planet potentially that created the asteroid belt that it exists between the planets. But yeah, it's... It's incredibly fascinating. You guys can look that up. It's actually really interesting to look at um, previous life on Mars and if life on Mars existed. And I think that's a lot why Elon wants to go back to Mars is because there was life at one point that did exist. And there was, I think they found water and all the stuff like that. But Well, that makes me think uh, we have like nuclear stuff on this planet. So I, I know, it's true, it's facts. <laughs> so Mars. who knows if it was our our species of humans or another species or another alien species, but pretty crazy. It's a Very good, cool. it's a good one to watch and look at. Very cool. Y'all, I'm so excited for today's episode. Mm -hmm. Our friend, Dr. Holly Richman is joining us for an interview. If you joined us for our uh, workshop with Dr. Holly and Shanae Alexander, that one was juicy juice. Yes. It was all about intimacy, conscious intimacy, sex relationships. Um, but Dr. Holly is a somatic psychologist, certified sex therapist, and a sex consultant. And I just found this to be fascinating. We we researched and you guys like to talk about sex. Yes. Yeah, that's true. You so guys really it. like sex. <laughs> so in this episode, we talk about how things have changed over 2020, like intimacy, connection, sex, communication. Um, if you're living with someone, if you're not, I think this has been quite the year as we know. Mm -hmm. So it was really good to dig in with her about how that has changed for folks, folks that she's seen in her practice and folks she's seen outside and what we can really do to get back to connecting like we were before, or if not before, how can we connect with partners, with ourselves, with others in the most intimate and in the way that feels best? Yeah. And you all submitted a bunch of questions via Instagram. So we asked her those as well. So I think you're really going to enjoy this one. Maybe send it to your partner, maybe send it to someone who um, could use an episode like this. And before getting into this episode, we just wanted to talk to you about what we got in our shop. Oh yeah, the shop is 
popping off. So we're yeah. making some changes behind the scenes at Almost 30 for 2021, but we do have things in the shop available right now at Shop Almost 30. There's workshops, there's downloadables. One of my favorite is the Saturn Return Guide. Mm-hmm. So a lot of you who are listening, if you're between the ages of around 27 to early 30s, are going through or have gone through your Saturn Return, which is a really pivotal time astrologically and as a time that really changed Lindsay and I's lives. Yeah. So we have a workshop with Jessica Lanyadu, and then we have a downloadable that really educates you and gives you all the tools to thrive in your Saturn return. We've had a, and we've had a bunch of uh, listeners, partners order merch for them for the holidays, which is so, so sweet. Oh. So you can get merch uh, for the holidays or for the new year. Um, and that'll be shipped out to you in just under two weeks. So get it for the holidays. Thank you all so much for your support. It means the world. Uh, If you haven't already, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, it means a lot. Um, Enjoy this one. You can find out more about Dr. Holly at drhollyrichmond.com. Yeah. And thanks for sharing with a friend. That's how we've grown. That's how we are in community with one another, Almost 30 Nation. Enjoy this one. We'll see you on the other side. Bye. Well, we're so excited to talk to you. We've been looking forward to this. And, you know, after we did our, we're so thankful to Shanae for introducing us. And we're so thankful for, you know, your support in our workshop as well. It was really powerful and it was really eye-opening for me in a lot of different ways. You know, everything that you said resonated so deeply. But one of the things that I thought was most interesting that I wanted to talk to you about at the at the top <laughs> was, was how almost shy people were talking about sex and stuff. It was almost like with most workshops that we have, everyone's really chatty and they're talkative and they want to share and all these things. But it was funny to see that when we get to the topic of sex, everyone seemed to be less interested or willing to share than they normally are and more interested and willing to listen. So do you find Mm -hmm. that as a common thread with your clients and with people when you tell them about the work that you do? It is. It, it's it's either people are really interested or I get almost like the deer in headlights and this, the topic gets changed immediately. Yeah. So I think it's just level of comfortability, pretty much how you were raised. So how, was sex talked about in your family? Did you have a group of friends that talked about sex versus, you know, like those that are just like, I've really never talked about, I don't even know the right questions to ask. So I'm just going to change the subject. Yeah. It was so interesting for even Lindsay and I, you know, we just were kind of like, <laughs> and um, yeah, I just found it to be something that as a common thread, when we talk up and bring up sex, it's really interesting to always notice like your feelings, like, you know, somatically, like how you feel in your body, you're just noticing how everyone's responding. Um, but I found that to be really interesting. And I also like during the workshop, I kind of felt I don't know, excited that we were having those conversations. There was a part of me that was like, okay, cool. Finally, because I do... I do like talking about sex, at least with my partner. I like just having thoughtful conversations around it rather than having it be just something that we do rather than talk about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, especially, you know, meeting people where they are right now in quarantine. And I'm sure people have had more time to have just conversations in general, maybe forced, maybe not. But what have you been seeing, especially with your clients as like, common themes within relationships and intimacy conversations? Yeah, I think it is forcing the conversation because there were excuses last year, right? So we're traveling, we're going out, there's things to keep us busy. Those excuses aren't there anymore. So couples are like, holy shit, we're still not having sex. Or even we are having sex, but it's not good sex. 
Mm. What do we do about this? How do I bring up the conversation? So I think, again, I think I said this um, during the workshop, it's, I feel like COVID is breaking up some couples, but at least through my lens, um, the people that I'm seeing, it's making them closer, not without some massive growing pains though. Yeah. What are you seeing as the growing pain themes? Like what are, is it communication? Is it intimacy? What kind of themes are coming up? Yeah. So it's, um, you know, again, I'm hearing about we're not having sex or we're having sex that I don't like. I have no idea how to tell my partner this. So people, it's interesting. People don't have time to masturbate as much Mm. anymore. Like if you're partnered, so picture, you know, living with your partner and before, like maybe your partner would go to work or there would just be, you know, you'd go run weekends on the weekend, um, errands on the weekend. So your partner would have time alone. Like that kind of thing just isn't happening as much. So partners are having to talk about their own sexuality as well as the sexuality that exists in the space between them. How do you recommend like having that conversation? Because I, I heard from a lot of people in our community who are like, I don't want to make my partner feel insecure if I'm not happy with the sex. I don't want them to think I want to go elsewhere. So how do you recommend like starting that conversation? With the words, I'm curious. So I feel like those two words like keep our partner out of defensiveness. So I'm curious what you think of our sex life. I'm curious, what are the best parts of our sex life to you? And what do you think could be better? Like just leading with that. So you're not coming in and saying, God, sex sucked on Saturday night. What did you think? (laughs) Just imagine being your partner, like receiving that. Like, oh my God, what am I supposed to do with that? She's not happy, right? Yeah. The defensiveness is interesting. The defensiveness is like a... It's almost like a default sometimes, like a protective thing. And I, I I love that. Like, I'm curious. And I'm also like, I'm wondering... You know, if people have needs, like you said, can they lead with those? Is that something that like you recommend? They absolutely can. But again, I think we just around the space of sexuality, which we all think we're supposed to be good at, right? Just like we think we're supposed to be born being good at sex, which no one is. So I think when anyone gets criticized in the space of sexuality, it just feels a little bit more personal is not the word I'm looking for, but like deep in our core, like we take it really personally. It's not like, oh, you made spaghetti and it wasn't very good, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's about intimacy. It's something we're co-creating together and Mm -hmm. I'm not loving it. So how am I going to talk to you about this? That's a delicate area. And trust me, I have plenty of clients who are straight shooters. There's just like not a lot of fluff in their language. And they're like, how am am I going to approach my my partner and be kind about this? So again, it's like, I'm like lead with the positives. You know, what's working well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is your partner great at kissing, but kind of not great at oral sex? So I would probably say like in, in, in the case of the latter, like when it comes to oral sex, like you want to want to be instructive around that. There's so much of sexuality that you can't even talk about. I mean, you can, but it's, it's more of a direct route to, to show about it, right? Rather yes. than tell about it. Right. So yeah, close this. So while you're having sex, just be instructive. So to the left, to the right, harder, faster, softer, slower. Wow. Okay. <laughs> well, what do you guys think? Would your yeah. would your partners be open to that kind of feedback? Yeah, I, I think. So. Uh, yeah, I know so, but I I'm, I'm thinking about outside of the bedroom versus during, like, and mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. what feels better. 
I think during you're right. Like there is kind of a a memory thing where it's like in the moment and more of like a physical memory of of knowing and practicing. So I think I think that would feel more natural and probably be more effective. Yeah, I like talking during a lot. So I think that always works for me because sometimes it's like if I was to approach a conversation, it I would have to do it at very in, very intricately because I wouldn't want it to seem like it was like an, a specific approach on that mm. because I do feel like there are situations where it's just you know, a little bit of an ego thing with men where they always want to feel like they please you. And that's what happens 99% of the time. But I think the conversation sometimes can be a little bit challenging, especially if you haven't looked at the ways in which sex can bring up shame for you or make you feel guilty or make you feel bad in any way. And I think a lot of people have that running subconsciously in their heads when they are approaching sex in general. Right. Yeah. And, and so that, that shame piece for women, a lot of times it's around body image and for men, it's around performance. So again, so I, I love your point. And let me, let me put this big picture. I think there's some people that are, respond really well to that instructiveness during sex. Like that can be a really like direct path from that doesn't feel so great that I can just kind of nudge you a little bit and it can feel better. And that conversation can happen outside of the bedroom but it just has to happen in a delicate way. So I think the worst thing that can happen is let's say your partner's going down on you and then you start with kind of criticism, right? In that <laughs> moment and being really oh like, you know, just critical or that doesn't feel good. That shouldn't happen during sex. You guys know what I mean. So you're using body language, you're using soft, gentle language to say to the left, to the right, softer, faster, harder, slower. And then the conversation outside the bedroom leads with a strength is curious about your partner's perception of the weaknesses. And then you get to share what you think the weakness is and have a solution for it. Mm. Got it. Would you say that should happen right after yeah. sex or like another time? Another time. Okay. Mm. Probably. Might, might, be yeah. too, might be too delicate. Um, yeah. <laughs> As he's laying next to you, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's <hard>. Like I'm <laughs> curious about what you think could be better. <laughs> um, for the body image thing, I think that was super powerful to bring in body image and, and body confidence or body neutrality into our conversation about sex when we did the workshop. Um, do you find that that is the, the biggest block that women have from feeling liberated when they're having sex? Yeah, it, it is. It's still, the body is still the biggest thing. Um, and then I would go to uh, their perceived or their perception that they should be orgasming every time. And then for a small percentage, there's pain during sex. Um, and I do want to say to go back one minute ago about not saying something during sex, that does not apply to pain. If anything ever hurts anyone, obviously you have to say something in a minute, but in that moment. But if it's just about something that you don't like or a preference, then, then I wouldn't do it exactly in that moment. Yeah. So the body image piece, it just gets us in our heads and out of our bodies. Yeah. And and you mentioned not orgasming. And I we asked our community to send in questions for Dr. Holly. And a lot of them had concerns around not being able to orgasm or they hadn't orgasmed yet with a partner or um, they don't orgasm uh, via penetration. So we'd love to talk about mm -hmm. just ways in which we can with ourselves. And then if we do have a partner with a partner, just kind of work on finding the way in which we can reach orgasm. Yeah, absolutely. So 
have you guys talked about the orgasm gap at all in workshops or around the podcast? No. no. So, so the orgasm gap, it's a, it's a, it's like a chasm. It's a, this huge crack. So here's the statistic around 25% or a little less of women can have an orgasm from penetration alone. So that means that 75% of us need direct clitoral, clitoral stimulation to be able to orgasm. So for those of the, your listeners who wrote in and said, I, I can't orgasm by myself, I'm not orgasming from penetration. What I'm just telling you is like, you're in the norm. Like it is, it is outside of the norm to be able to orgasm just from penetration alone. Most people need direct clitoral stimulation. For those who have never orgasmed, I would definitely have them start with themselves, start with a self-pleasure program. So once or twice a week, just really taking time, space, setting your scene um, so you feel comfortable. And I think too often women overlook that, but context is so important to us. And by context, I mean, what does your bedroom look like? What is the noise level? You know, are there dirty clothes on the floor? So I just, I want women to create spaces that feel good to them. So whether it's lighting a candle, having a glass of wine, doing it in the bathtub with a toy that's um, waterproof, like really think about the context you need to feel sexy. Mm. And then from there, just taking time, a good half hour to explore your body without the goal of having an orgasm, like at least for the first week or two, like I'm just exploring, I'm touching myself, I'm figuring out what feels good. And that's not just the genitals, that's breasts, that's stomach, that's scalp, that's neck, that's ears, feet, like explore everything and really figure out what what feels best sensation wise. And then you're going to bring in your hand and then you're going to experiment with different toys um, when we're talking about self-pleasure. Because again, it's just, it's not a one size fits all. I can't tell you how many times clients call me. They're like, what's the best vibrator? I'm like, well, what's the best food? Right? <laughs> True. True. Gotta yeah. try it on. Do you suggest vibrators over just using your hand? We've heard, you know, we've heard that it could potentially overstimulate the clitoris and so I'm curious if you, what your thoughts are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I always recommend starting with your hand um, and seeing how that goes. And a lot of women still can't have an orgasm just with their fingers alone. So that's when I would introduce the toy. I am totally pro toy, um, but I like women to pay attention to settings to use different toys, to switch up their position when they're using the toys. Because if you get to used to one toy in one position on one setting, you're 100% right. Like you're going to train your body. This is how you have an orgasm and this is it. There just has to be variety. And the same is true with porn, right? If you train yourself always to orgasm while watching porn, then yep, you're going to need porn to orgasm. So it's just about creating variety. Um, sex should be a salad bar, right? Like you can pick this, this day, this, this day, um, and really like put that together in a way that feels good for you, not doing the same thing every time. I want to talk about porn in a moment, but I just wanted to follow up that with question about like extending the time that you are like, is it called like edging or like where you're about to have an orgasm, but you don't orgasm and what the benefits of that are? Yeah. Yeah. It's just extending <laughs> I'm just pleasure. I've seen funny like health. skits on edging. So I'm thinking of those skits. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like, I'm edging. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> it's just a weird <laughs> word for something that's like very ooey gooey. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I love that question. It is. It's just uh, it's con- called climax control, right? Mm-hmm. So you're just controlling your orgasms. Most of the time, I would prescribe edging for a man who has early ejaculation or or trouble in that department for what he perceives as oh I can't last long enough. On that note, I want to say most penetrative sex lasts five to seven minutes. It's not the 20 minutes or an hour that we see on porn. Like I can't even tell you how many men call me and like, I'm only lasting five, I'm only lasting five minutes. I'm like, great, you're like you're right on track. <laughs> and if you want to be able to last longer, let's talk about how you can do that. Mm. So it is like, so let's pack picture a spectrum. So um, zero is not aroused at all. 10 is very aroused. So when you're self-pleasuring, masturbating, whatever words you like to use, you would bring yourself up to a seven and then slow down and bring it back down to a three or four. Bring yourself back up to an eight, bring yourself down to a four or five, bring yourself up to a nine or 10 um, and then have your resolution. So it's just, it's really, again, this is mostly to help men feel like they have more control over their their ejaculation. But I think it's great too, just for women as a pleasure practice. For the, the porn thing, I know we just started talking about it, but I'm curious too of what's happened this year as far as porn consumption, because it's like people are home more, so they probably are consuming more. But then I'm wondering if men that did it when their partners were away are consuming less. And so I'm just curious of, first of all, your thoughts on porn as a whole, if people mm-hmm. should use it alone or as a couple, the negative effects, the side, the positive effects. And then if you've seen any trends this year. Yeah. Yeah. To, to answer your first question, the porn consumption went way up when, really? when um, COVID began in March and April. Yeah. They did some studies around it. It did go way up. So clearly in my head, I was like, okay, those are not the couples like me that have a partner and two kids at home. Mm-hmm. It's not us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the singles out there. It's almost like a coping <laughs> mechanism too. Mm. You know, I think that men don't, and this is a generalization, but in my experience, I don't know if men have the coping mechanisms that women are sort of socialized to have. So I think that it becomes a coping mechanism for them at times. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Coping mechanism, anxiety reducer, stress reducer. Um, And I love that you use the word socializing for women. That's for a lot of women, that's our coping mechanism, right? Like socializing, calling Mm -hmm. a friend. Guys just don't do that. I wish they did it more. They just don't do it. 100%. Yeah. So that that regulation has to come internally and they look for a cigarette, a beer, corn, like whatever their go-to is, Mm. Um, maybe exercise, you know, things like that. Like what is going to make me feel less stressed? And I can imagine that like the inability to have just more casual sex and dating and being out there might also contribute to just porn being consumed more. Yeah. People are lonely. People are lonely. So here's my thoughts on porn. I'm completely pro-porn, but I'm also really in favor of knowing what it is and what it isn't. It is not real life. It is not education. And unfortunately in our country, like that's the best that kids get. So so young people see porn around between the ages of 10 and 12. I know like that, that kills me. Oh. It kills it honestly. Whoa. I I that is honestly something I can't think about more than a minute. Two seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Why is yeah. it not regulated um, in that way? I know. 
Yeah. Mm. So, so it is not education at all. At all. Um, so it causes problems on a few levels. So men will call me and say, I feel like I should be able to do this. And I'm like, okay, those are actors or those are Olympic athletes. Would you think that you should do what an actor does or what an Olympic athlete does? That's no, hilarious. Like, this is a show. It is so edited. It is so scripted. It's like watching the NBA and being like, watching LeBron and being like, I'm thinking I should do, be able to do this. <laughs> Exactly. They put numbing cream on their penises. I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff going on that that we as viewers don't see. The other problem is compulsivity. Um, I want to be really here, clear here to make a distinction between addiction and compulsivity. I don't believe in porn addiction or sex addiction. I think what that really is, is anxiety, um, where we were just a few minutes ago and the compulsion around it becomes a need to control the anxiety. Now, I treat compulsivity all the time. And usually the man or the woman will call me and say, I'm a sex addict or I'm a porn addict. And I don't change that language on the spot, but we just talk about it because I really see it through my somatic lens of like, this is an anxiety regulator, right? Mm. Porn is not the problem. Sex is not the problem. It's just they're trying to reduce their anxiety. So compulsivity is real. Porn is just, it's there all the time. It, there's no risk to it. Porn never says no. The people you're watching are always so into it, right? You know, for all of us with a long-term partner, when are we always so into it? Like, that's just unrealistic, right? But Mm -hmm. porn is this fantasy land and it sets us up to fail in a lot of ways. So I think that's the downside of it. So if we could consume it in moderation, knowing that it's Netflix with nude people, like we would all be so much better. Yeah. It's almost like thinking about kids, you know, 10 to 12 seeing porn. It's like if you're a kid 10 to 12 and you're watching porn and you're able to masturbate to it and you're seeing these like beautiful people enjoying it, you're not getting rejected, you don't have to be vulnerable, but essentially you're still getting what you perceive to be the the outcome and you've never actually had sex with love. I would imagine that you'd almost be like, why would I even try to have sex with someone? Like I can imagine there'd be less interest in actual sex. And I think that is happening over time too. I think our generation has less less sex than right. other generations. For sure. Yeah, you guys are less, having less sex than any generation in recorded history. <clears throat> and that trend is not, it's not going in a great direction. I Another wow. segment of people that I work with are adult virgins, seeing more and more of them. And porn, and I want to point this out, video games are yes. the two culprits. Oh, yes. It's not just naked people, you guys. It's screen time. I know. Wow. Because the so porn and video games take the edge off that social interaction that we yes. need, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm almost connected. It's going to take that edge off for me just enough so I don't have to really go out and in the real world and look for it and risk rejection. There's so much too within like having lots of blue light, you know, blue light reduces your ability to have like testosterone. And then when you're sitting like that all day, I'm sure you're not getting a lot of, this is so basic, but blood flow flow to your genitals, you know, your root chakra is kind of cut off. So there's so much that happens physically too, when you're just in front of a computer all day or watching video games all day, that really reduces the sex drive that you would have naturally and normally if you were out in the sun, if you were working out all the time and all these things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's gotten worse since COVID too, because we're not even getting out of our chairs to commute to work. 
right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. even if you went somewhere to get on the train or the subway, you're still walking to the train or the subway, or you're walking to your car, or then you're walking around the office, going out for lunch. Like Zoom butts a deal. Like it's a real yeah. thing. Right? I know I have Zoom ass now. <laughs> it's flat as a pancake. <laughs> yeah. Long-term relationships. And also just if you're living with a partner, seeing them all the time and just losing that that something, something, you know, losing that fire, losing, you know, even if you go to work for the whole day, I'm like, oh, I miss, you know, I miss my partner. Like, and then like when they come home, there is like just that spark that wasn't there if I'm spending like five days with them. So I'm wondering what you're like recommending for people who are living with a partner and have just kind of lost that, that attraction, but just more so like that spark. Yeah. Yeah to just reflect back what you just said really beautifully. I love this from Esther Perel, fire needs air, Mm. right? So when we're a couple and we're together all the time, there's no air. Wow. So for that fire to grow, we need to be apart. And then in my language, like just, just the beauty of rediscovery every Mm -hmm. night when we come home or our, our partner comes home, we have the beauty of rediscovering them. We've lost all of that. So yeah, I've been working with couples on, okay, how can we introduce novelty? How can we introduce difference into this space that you're in? Theme nights, so watching a show, cooking something, eating food from a certain, let's say it's it's um, Brazil night, um, putting on Brazilian music, like just like really creating in within the confines that you can, themes, um, trying sex toys, watching something that's out of your usual scope of things couples watch together. It's just to break that routine. We all know the routine. We're done with our day. We say our partner, we make dinner t- together, we have a glass of wine, and then we sit on the couch and watch whatever. It's just figuring out ways to break that up. So change up the order. Uh, here's my biggest, everybody listen up, fuck first. Like, do not eat and then think that's you're going to go have Dude, that. Is, that's <laughs> the biggest facts. That's going right. to be our audio. We're always quote, say Dr. that. Holly. We're like, I'm like, no, no, sex before our date. Yeah. And it's hot. Yeah. It's like, you kind of get yes. all messed up. And yes. then, then you put on your makeup and you're, you know what I and mean? You get there too is, full. Yeah. You do, oh, for sure. You're too full. And gassy. Like, who gassy, wants that? Literally. And tired. Dude, right. I'm trying to think of when I was staying with my boyfriend for a while, we were. I guess we were having sex like late at night and I was just, I really had to like rev up. I'm like, yo, I'm about to fall asleep. It's either like in the morning or can we do this a little bit earlier in the afternoon? Like, yeah. I feel like for so many women, we're good to go in the middle of the day. Yes. And and we're like, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm at work. Literally. (laughs) Right? I'm like mid email. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but it's hard for a lot of people. It's hard late at night, just is not their thing at all. So again, to answer your question, it's how can we bring in novelty? Um, Can you go sit outside? Can you go take a walk? Um, Watch a sexy movie together? Fuck first. It's it's hard. Like you guys, you know all the things. They work for some couples and they Mm -hmm. don't for others. But this word novelty, it's really the seed of desire. Mm -hmm. So think about what we can do to bring newness here. Um, A lot of us used to rely on travel. We're not getting to do that as much. You know, most couples have better sex in hotels than they do at home just because of that novelty factor. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I remember when I was like nine, my parents were going on a vacation to a hotel 
And they were like, yeah, we're going away for the weekend. And I was so young to ask my dad. I was like, why can't you guys just have sex here? <laughs> and my dad was so oh cute. God. He's like, it's just not the same. <laughs> I'll never and forget I that. It, I was right? like, damn. And when I grew up, I was like, damn, he's right. It's just not the same. <laughs> right. <laughs> Something that you do is um, somatic psychotherapy. And you mentioned somatics too. And um, I've been just started going to therapy um, this year. Lindsay's been going for a while, but I'm learning, you know, what somatic therapy is and what somatics is. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So somatic psychotherapy is, it's really mind body. So let me say it this way. You know, I think it's easier just to tell you a story. For a long time, I thought I was just fucked up because I would have body pain or I would shake. But basically, my body knew something was up long before my head did because Mm -hmm. I'm a person who just walks around through the world looking like I got my shit together. Um, You know, I kind of like, you know, I just, I can function. I'm a high functioner, but this was not good. And I'm pointing to my body right now for all of you out there who can't see me. So I came to somatic psychology the back way just because I wanted to figure out what was going on. So really a central question to my work is what is your body saying that you cannot, Mm. right? So our body is just um, Bessel van der Kolk. The body keeps the score. Like our body just knows the deal and we need to learn to ask it the right questions, listen to it, respect it. There's so much here around eating disorders, body image, chronic pain, addiction, Like it's just, it's our body asking for something that we're not able to hear. Mm. For people who don't feel a connection to their body, what would you recommend? Yeah. So do things to get you more into your body. And this is so personal. I'll throw some things out, but this is, um, it's exercise, but just saying exercise, like for some people hiking outdoors is going to be the thing. On the other end of the spectrum, I have so many female clients right now taking pole dancing classes or twerking classes. Like that's Mm -hmm. what they need. Burlesque classes, which I know you guys know all about. You've offered workshops on that. For others, you can get into your body by playing an instrument right? Mm -hmm. Think of anything that doesn't have you in front of a book or in front of a screen, something that you can, you can feel in your body. You know what I mean when you say, when you when I say like in the zone, like what gives you, like just what makes you feel empowered? A lot of people are like, oh, I'm so uncoordinated. There's something that you can do that you feel coordinated and and it might be playing the piano, Mm. right? But it's still like, there's still a somatic piece to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, in therapy, I can always, it's always like when I'm giving an answer, if I'm in my head or I'm in my body, mm. I can always now feel, you know, kind of where I'm at emotionally with things. And so I didn't understand somatic at first and it's taken me a while, but now that I've had the experience of it, I know what it is and I think it's super powerful. Um, for people that want to, you know, potentially go to couples therapy for, to talk about sex, like, how would you say they approach the conversation with one another? And then, yeah, let's talk. Let's start there. Okay. So relationships are a dynamic, right? They're never a one-way street. It's always interesting when couples come to me and it's very much like this person has the problem. Sure, one person can be driving it, but nothing happens in a, in a container of that size exactly. in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So it's never a one-sided deal. If you're not happy in the relationship, I can almost guarantee you your partner isn't happy either unless yeah. they are just so closed down, so emotionally cut off or they're in an addiction or there's something like really profound happening. 
it's almost never a surprise to the other person when the the one partner says, hey, I've been thinking about going to therapy. They're usually met with, yeah, we've got some problems. They might be met with, but I think we can solve it ourselves. So it's hard. Like for, for some people, men in general, they're like, man, I really, I was resistant to this. I didn't want to talk about sex in front of anyone else. I didn't want to talk about any of our problems in front of anyone else. Um, so it takes a strong partner to remind them, listen, this is all completely confidential. This is what this person does for a living. Let's go for five sessions and see what happens. Like that's, that's how I feel like a reluctant partner usually, you know, will get in the door. And then it's usually like the floodgates open and I can't mm. get the reluctant partner to stop talking. <laughs> I'm sure. Like, it feels yes. so good. I Like for mm-hmm. someone yeah. who hasn't talked about their feelings, but and then to be in a safe container in a safe space to like yeah. let loose. Mm-hmm. Holy moly. Yeah. Um, and just that the confidentiality, which is literally like I, that is like, that's, that's the top tier. That's the thing I'm sworn to most is safety and confidentiality. So it it can't go anywhere. And for some couples, if it's, if it's really um, high on conflict, I'll say, let's not talk about this until next week. So like, they're not having that conflict out there anymore because it's being held in this container and they don't have to worry about it until next week. Oh yeah. I'd love to talk about that. Like just heightened emotion in the moment. And so Mm -hmm. if you're not with a therapist and you're having, you know, a conversation with a partner is it like what's best when you are in a heightened emotive state? Is it best to take time? Like how would you how would you direct people to navigate that? I feel like especially during this time with COVID, I feel like my ups and downs are like more frequent and more severe. What would you recommend? Yeah, so I'm having two thoughts right now. The first is know if you're a slow processor or a fast processor. By that, I mean when you're in conflict. So I'm a slow processor. My husband is a fast boy. When we are in conflict, he's just throwing barbs, throwing barbs, throwing barbs. (laughs) He's so good with his words. He can just like cut me and I get stuck. So slow processor does not mean not intelligent because I think I'm a fairly intelligent person. (laughs) I can't find my fucking words to save my life. I just almost breathe. So I'm the person that has to walk away or I'll just like, I'll get super upset. I'll start crying and I don't want to feel like, then I don't want to make, like he's allowed to have his feelings. And when I cry, then he feels like he has to shut down a little bit. Like he's allowed to have his feelings. That's why so I, I cry to, to manipulate them into to stopping. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> That's my, my usual tactic. <laughs> right. I'm like, do you see me crying? Yeah. This should be done. <laughs> I need to walk away. I'm the person that needs to walk away. And to be honest, it's better for him if we take some time out, Mm -hmm. even though he's gotten everything off his chest. But then we come back to the plate in usually half an hour to an hour. This is different for every couple. Some couples are like, I'm so anxious to be away from you for 10 minutes when we're in conflict because this feels perilous to me and, and the anxiety of abandonment is too much for me to hold. So they'll need to take like 15 minutes and come back to the table where other couples are like, I do not want to see you for four hours. Let's talk about this tomorrow. I don't love to talk about it tomorrow, but it does work for some couples. Um, So I wanted to mention that. And then the other idea that I love is that anger is fear's gatekeeper. So are you angry or are you afraid? And if you're afraid, that's a really, that's a much more vulnerable position to come into the conflict with than I'm super pissed off at you. What are you afraid of? Vulnerable emotions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm with you, Dr. Holly. I need time. <laughs> but I always feel pressure to say something in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of, I need to really ask for what I need mm-hmm. and just be like, I need time. We can talk about this okay. in like an hour. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm working on that. Definitely not there yet, but it's is good to hear you okay say that. Taking time? For sure. But he, he, like your husband is so good with his words and in the moment, like, and it intimidates me. And I just think I feel like insecure about the way I communicate or present myself in the moment. And then I doubt like how I feel. And then I doubt, was my reaction too much or too little or... So yeah, I love that you said that. Yeah. One last thing on that. Um, welcome to being a woman our age-ish in America. Mm-hmm. Right? We were trained to be good girls. Oh, yeah. Don't say too much. Don't make people mad. Smile and play nice. Mm-hmm. And then we get to our age. You're much younger than I am, but I think it's it's mm-hmm. kind of generally true. Except, except now for like the younger than 25 or the younger than 20 somethings, I think those girls have their damn voices. Mm-hmm. Like they're they're it's getting better. Like they know that they can use their voice. For me, for you, it's just like play nice, play nice. Did you have to do work around that? Like any subconscious reprogramming or what was your journey with um, with that? As if I have it figured out. Come on. <laughs> what is your current journey with that? <laughs> ask me for what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it takes me half an hour to ask for what I need. I'm a writer. So I might email my husband what I need. And I'm not saying that's the best strategy. It just, that's, it's easier for me to process on the page than process with my words. So that's, that is now coming a little bit closer together. So I don't always need to write it out anymore. I can just like sit, think, take a few minutes and ask for what I need. Hmm. And my needs are valid. Your needs are valid. Yeah, totally. Um, Sounds so I know. (laughs) It takes practice. I wanted to touch on before, but I forgot. So I'd love to talk about libido. Just what contributes to that specifically? You know, we touched on the blue light and I'm sure obviously during this time, we're not able to exercise, but would love to talk about that. A lot of people were asking about low libido and how they can improve that, especially during this time. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many factors that contribute to libido. And we often think that it's a switch and it's not. It's like libido, it's life force, it's desire, it's it's arrows. So you really, you need to look at your life and see, see what's going on there. So eating well, trying to get some exercise, trying to get a decent amount of sleep, those all really contribute. Stress is the biggest contributor to, to low libido. So figure out ways that you can manage that. And I'm not going to sit here and preach of like, oh, it's all diet and exercise. If you manage stress by having a glass of wine, go for it. If you manage stress by having an edible, go, like figure out what works for you without being compulsive about anything. But this is not telling me, oh, me telling you, oh, live this perfectly clean, healthy life. Like that's, that's completely unreasonable. So figure out what it is that works for you. Again, women are super contextual when it comes to libido. So figure out like what you need to feel sexy. Do you need a bath? Do you need lingerie? Do you need to objectify your your man and have him like go put on that tight t-shirt and those ripped jeans that I like? Like what is it that turns you on? Is, is it a smell from him? 
Um, if your partner is a woman, same thing. Like, I think we get so concerned about objectifying our partners that we're, because it's PC, right? Like, it's like, that's not right to objectify our partners. So many of us like to be objectified and we like to objectify our partners. So I just, I encourage people, if you don't like that word, like what turns you on? Like there was something Mm -hmm. about your partner that turned you on. So like, let's find that again. When do you feel most sexy? Mm. And I also know the... We've talked about this before on the podcast, um, but just a female, like the female cycle throughout the month. And then the male cycle is a day or a day Mm -hmm. in terms of just, you know, wanting sex or being more turned on or, or libido levels. Yeah. True. The client I saw right before I hopped on with you guys was like, I have been so horny this week and guess what? I'm ovulating. Like it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thing. I love yeah. that. Um, it, 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 <laughs> I love that. You don't want to get pregnant. I'm, be careful of that. Um, <laughs> I love that. So Telling Dr. Holly, I'm it. so horny this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, it just, again, it's, it's it's cycle, it's context, it's what's going on in our lives. Long-term partner, new partner, how much novelty is coming in. Those pieces of ourselves where we started this conversation, what's taboo? What can I talk about? What can I ask for? What have I been trained to think I shouldn't ask for, that I shouldn't want? It's just being really able to be honest with ourselves and step up to those conversations. Yeah. And last question from me. On that point of being able to step up the plate to the plate, asking for what you want and um, being really upfront. So if someone has like a fantasy or a fetish or something like that, how do you think they should broach the conversation uh, with their partner? It's a really good question. I get this one a lot. Again, I would do it with with curiosity as the leader um, or asking, say, hey, I've been thinking about this fantasy. Or you could totally use a cop-out and say, oh, I read an article about foot fetishes and it got me thinking. Or I was watching this movie and they were having group sex and that got me thinking. What do you think about it? And your partner has to be allowed to say yes, no, or maybe, Mm -hmm. right? And I always encourage people to take a minute. And again, it's stepping out of the shoulds. Like, because if we were raised to be a good girl, well, then I shouldn't be into group sex or I shouldn't be into forced submission. So the rape fantasies, which so many women are into, let go of that. Um, I think I said on, on the podcast, all sex is good sex as long as it's consensual and pleasurable. If you're ticking those two boxes with any kind of fetish or proclivity, um, something that you're into, if it's consensual and pleasurable, it's totally fine. Mm. Now, if you're presenting it to your partner, it has to be consensual and pleasurable for them as well. So they could be like, holy shit, group sex sounds awesome. I've been waiting two years for you to bring that up. Or, oh my gosh, no, group sex, um, that's a definite no for me. Or let me think about that a minute and I'll get back to you. Wow. Um, Last question for me is kind of specific, but I feel like more and more I'm hearing that women are dealing with health issues around their reproductive organs, whether it's, um, you know, PCOS or something like that. Mm -hmm. And we can bring, you know, if it's a male partner, whether it's like ED or something like that, like just health issues and how to navigate intimacy and just um, 
yeah, holding space for that, holding space for the healing and for the times when maybe, you know, you can't have sex or things like that. Like how can you create that intimacy without having sex? Yeah, absolutely. And I loved during the workshop that we got to dig into this. So it's really prioritizing pleasure over performance. Meaning for a lot of times what I mean by that, especially if we have a straight couple is taking penetration off the table, right? Because when we say sex people, a lot of people just go to, okay, that's it's penis and vagina, especially for a straight couple. So it's really going to what is pleasurable versus what is performative and certainly what is painful. So when we're talking about these, these health issues, it's either painful during the act or it's painful emotionally because I'm having premature ejaculation or my penis isn't behaving in the way I want it to, or there's something that I'm feeling bad about that I want to do, the fetishist fantasies that we talked about before. So it's really coming in through the door of pleasure. So either following sensation, give each other massages, oral sex, if that's on the table for you, um, just the digital penetration, like it just or anything not even about the genitals, just like get out of that mood of thinking that sex is purely genitally based because it's actually mostly in our heads, how we're feeling about it. So that would be my two cents there. Yeah. So it's just getting out of that performative model, again, driven by porn about what we think sex should be, make it what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And it's going to change over, over your lifespan. So whether you're trying to have kids, sex is going to look different then. Whether you have had kids, sex looks different then. Whether you've been married one year versus married 45 years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> just thinking about it. <laughs> just thinking about sex. <laughs> I was just fantasizing that whole answer. Just kidding. Uh, How long have you been married? I missed something with the uh, libido piece too. Oh, yes. For mm-hmm. women, I, I want to stress that arousal almost often precedes desire. So when we think about it in the typical heteronormative way, desire precedes arousal. Oh, I should want to have sex and then I'll just have sex and my arousal will be there. Mm. doesn't work like that for women. Um, we can't just pull desire out of thin air, especially when we have a long-term partner. Again, because the novelty piece is missing. So go for the arousal first. If you're not feeling like you want to have sex, that's probably not just going to like magically appear out of thin air. So when I say go for arousal, either by yourself, start a a more scheduled self-pleasure protocol. So once a week, you're masturbating. Twice a week, you're masturbating. Sex begets sex. The more sex you have, the more sex you want. And definitely, if you don't use it, you will lose it. Women don't have the benefit of the elevated testosterone levels like men do. But this can happen with men too. They're like, man, I'm not feeling desire anymore. So I go for the arousal, like start masturbating or start asking your partner for sex once or twice a week, even if you're not in the mood, right? We have to create the mood. So create the good feelings, create the pleasure, and then the desire follows. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. I do feel like that. Sex begets sex. Yes, (laughs) for sure. This has been so amazing. I'm so grateful. I feel like I learned so much. I'm so glad that we got to bring in a lot of questions that we received from our community, which was really, really beautiful. So thank you, so very much. I'd love to give all the places to which people can find you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I have loved being here. It's been so much working with you guys over the last couple of months. Yes. Yeah, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at Dr. Holly Richmond. So it's at D-R-H-O-L-L-Y-R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D. And then my website is drhollyrichmond.com. 
Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Holly. We appreciate you. And hopefully we get to meet you in person soon. Yeah. One day on the West Coast. (laughs) Talk to you later. All right. We'll see you soon, Dr. Holly. Bye, Dr. Holly. Bye. Bye Bye. How'd you like that sex one? I was so good. So sexy. If you guys like the sex and relationship episodes, you can also listen to ones by folks like Mark Groves, Kim Anami, John Wineland. We had that sex expert. She was amazing. MHS sex expert. Michelle. Michelle Hope. Michelle Hope. It was incredible. Michelle Hope was really awesome. So if you guys are interested, you can also search Almost 30 and Sex to find any of those great episodes. Yeah. And you can find out more about Dr. Holly, drhollyrichmond.com. Follow her on Instagram at drhollyrichmond. Thanks so much for joining us. We also have her workshop in the shop. It's with Shanae Alexander and Dr. Holly Richmond on conscious intimacy. Yes. And then like we've mentioned before, we're working on something really exciting with our community, with you guys that I feel like in every interview, people always ask, about our amazing community and how incredible you guys are. So Lindsay and I have wanted to find a way to connect with you more deeply, more intimately, um, and really just be accountable to one another for our spiritual evolution and growth. It's been hard this year to feel super connected, although we're online all the time, like to feel in a safe container. So we're working Mm -hmm. behind the scenes on that. So if you guys have any suggestions for what you'd want to see on a platform with Lindsay and I, DM us. Yeah, we appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Instagram. We love to see your tags and love to get your DMs. It's at Almost 30 Podcast. I'm at Lindsay Simsick. And I'm at It's Krista. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Bye.